today. Amen. All right. Who's ready for dysfunctional relationships in the Bible part one? Um, all right. I want to start. I want to start with a question this morning. Here's my question. Do we have any blamers in the house? Any blamers? Blamers. You know what I mean? If you don't know you're a blamer, maybe the person next to you knows you're a blamer. <laughs> blamers are people who, who tend to well, they tend to blame. They just tend to, they just tend to impute responsibility to other things or other people other than themselves when something goes wrong. Um, hello, everybody. My name is Brent, and I'm a blamer. All right? It's good to, it's good to own it. Uh, I'll give you an example. I had, a, <laughs> I had a situation recently where I like to get up really early in the morning, and I like to spend my time in my devotion, and I just like my private time. Everybody's asleep. So I get up about 5, 5.30 in the morning, and I, go, and I go downstairs to my little spot. I've got a spot where I do my devotion, I pray, uh, and sometimes I do my devotion on my phone, like I'll look up my scriptures on my phone. And I notice that in my spot where I have my phone charger at my spot, somebody had removed, somebody had stolen my phone charger. <laughs> And, you know, phone chargers are so important because if you, if you got that red piece on your battery, you know, and you're like, I really need to charge the phone, but where's my phone charger, right? Somebody stole my phone charger. So, so immediately, I start to imagine who might have stolen my phone charger. <laughs> who could that have been? And I've got, let's see, I've got five suspects in mine. <laughs> and they all live in my house. So I'm like, hmm, I wonder if Rebecca took my phone charger because you know maybe her phone died sometimes her phone just dies so she might have just snatched it one so I'm, I'm thinking I'm, I'm ready to blame Rebecca and then I start thinking well wait might have been my Jameson or Lincoln might have been one of my older kids they might have stolen it because now they have little phones they can text they can't get online yet they're gonna wait till they're 25 before they can get online <laughs> but but they can text you know <laughs> uh, so so I, I wonder if they and then I even thought I bet you it might have even been my nine-year-old or my seven-year-old Augustine or Eden they might have because they wanted to text grandma so they might have took mom's phone and then took the charger you know and i've just got all these scenarios in my mind about who stole my phone but i can't ask anybody because everybody's asleep i can't wake anybody up but i need my phone charger are you with me are you feeling my pain this morning and so and so so sometimes you know you can't wake people up but you can look louder <laughs> you know you just move stuff around with a little more energy okay so i'm up in the room and i'm like Moving stuff around, trying to find that phone charger, right? And lo and behold, my wife wakes up. Unbelievable. <laughs> and I say, she's like, what's going on? What's going on? She thinks there's a burglar in the house. I'm like, I can't find my phone charger. Somebody stole my phone charger. Somebody stole it. Somebody, somebody took my phone charger. People around here need to put stuff back. If they're going to take the phone charger, they need to put the phone charger back. <laughs> you know? But it was right about that time that I remembered that I had taken the phone charger, put it in my computer bag because I needed it at work that day. It was right at that moment, but I could not say that because that would ruin everything. So I said this, I go, never mind, I found it. I did find it. It was in my mind I remembered where it was, so it wasn't a lie, right? So when we blame other people, for issues, problems, mistakes of ours, or when things go wrong, what that does is it keeps our pride and our ego intact. To the, to the detriment of the relationship, by the way. Blaming is a toxic trait. 
It's a trait that can really disrupt relationships and really uh, break down relationships. And yet we do it because it is a way to absolve ourselves of the discomfort of either the guilt or the shame or the fear or whatever, a disappointment, whatever it is that we're feeling, one way to rid ourselves quickly from that negative feeling is to blame somebody else. So if, if, we're, if we show up late to a meeting, I'm going to blame the traffic because I don't want to take responsibility for not managing my time well. If I miss a deadline, I might want to be tempted uh, to blame something or somebody else. If I lose my temper, I might, I might blame somebody and say, well, you made me mad. You made me mad, right? So because I don't want to take responsibility for controlling my own emotions. All of us have experienced this at some point in our lives where we, where we want to cast blame on somebody else and not take responsibility ourselves for the issue that has arisen. Now, this trait... Uh, psychologists call it a self-serving bias. When things go wrong, when things go right, we tend to take credit, right? If something went well, I go, well, man, that was actually, that was me. Uh, but when things go wrong, we point the finger the other direction. It's a self-serving bias. And can I just tell you, this is the oldest trick in the book. Literally, the oldest trick in the book. In the very first chapter Sorry, in the very first book of the Bible, right? In the very first book of the Bible, when the first couple got into the first conflict, they used this technique to avoid taking responsibility. If you remember, if you remember the story in Genesis, I'll just summarize it, you know, summarize it for you. God put Adam and Eve in the garden, and he said, hey, you can eat from any tree in the garden that you want, but you cannot eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do not eat from that tree, or if you do, surely you will die. Eve happened to wander over to, the, wander over to that tree. And the serpent tempted her and said, you won't die. Your eyes will be open. You'll be like God. You should eat. She saw that the tree was good, and she saw that it was good for food, and she saw that it was good for wisdom, and so she took it and she ate. And then she took it to her husband, Adam, and Scripture says, and he also ate the fruit. Okay? So now, what do they do? They've done what they should not have done. So instead of going, oh, Lord, that, like they walked with God in the cool of the evening every, every night. They could have gone to the Lord and said, hey, God, Lord, we messed up. You told us not to eat from the tree. We ate from the tree. We apologize. We confess. We repent. We won't eat from the tree. But that's not what they did. They did what most of us would do. They, they went and hid. They like went and hid in the trees. In fact, they hid their bodies. It was the first time they knew they were naked. That means they were ashamed. They were exposed. They were vulnerable, right? So they put fig leaves over themselves. They, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Can I just say you cannot actually hide from the presence of the Lord? I think he can see through fig leaves. He can, he can see. He can see through the trees, all right? So, so the Lord comes and the Lord says to Adam in Genesis chapter 3, the Lord says to Adam, he says, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? That's a yes or no question, by the way. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? Now, this is Adam's opportunity. Adam could have gone, Lord, I did. Yep, I messed up. I'm sorry. I really messed up. I, I really apologize. I, I confess. I don't want to be on your bad side. I just really messed up. This, that's what he could have done. Have you eaten from the tree? But Adam didn't do that. Adam instead said, the woman, I like this part, the woman you put here with me, she gave, she gave me from the tree and 
I ate it. All right. I love how it's the double blame game. It's like she did it and you gave it. In other words, Adam's like, let me point to anybody other than me, right? So the Lord then says to the woman, verse 13, the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? This is another direct question. Tell me what you did, Eve. What did you do? What did you do? The woman said, the serpent, the serpent deceived me and I ate. When I say it's the oldest trick in the book, it's the oldest trick in the book. This is the very first dysfunction, relational dysfunction that we see in the scripture between two individuals. Today I'm going to uh, we're going we're gonna to be exploring the next several weeks about, about five core dysfunctions in relationships, all right? Today we're exploring the first one, the core dysfunction, number one. I'm calling this one the blame game, all right? This is the blame game. All of us have played this game. All of us have experienced the negative, toxic consequences of blaming others, not, not taking responsibility, avoiding responsibility when things happen. We've all experienced this. We've all done this. And what I want to do today is I want to I lead us through this so that we don't continue to practice this highly dysfunctional uh, practice and trait in our relationship. Because a number of very bad things happen when we embrace this trait. I'm going to give you three negative consequences, all right, of, of embracing this, tra- this trait. The first one is we erode people's trust. When we, when we avoid taking responsibility, when we blame other cir- circumstances, other situations for something that we're responsible for, we erode people's trust in us because the person says, well, look, if this person is unwilling to take responsibility for the thing that they did, now I can't trust them to take responsibility for the next thing that they're supposed to do, right? Because they won't take responsibility. They are avoiding their blaming. There's a great uh, an author that I love. His name is Patrick Lencioni. He wrote a book called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And I, I just, if you, are, if you work in any teams... In an organization, if you're, if you're a, a leader in a nonprofit or, or you know, work at, at a school or a for-profit or whatever, any organization you work in, this is an amazing book that describes some of the core dysfunctions that happen in relationships among people. And what uh, Lencioni says is the very first dysfunction uh, in the five dysfunctions, he calls it an absence of trust, an absence of trust. And here's what he says. Read this. He says, teams who lack trust conceal weaknesses and mistakes, hesitate to ask for help, jump to conclusions about the intentions of others, and hold grudges. Anybody been in an environment like that? I mean, so so what happens is if people avoid taking responsibility and start hiding their mistakes, then the people around them can't trust them anymore. And over time, the entire dynamic, the entire relational fabric begins to erode. And so that's the first consequence of blaming. That's the first consequence that we will experience in our relationships when we avoid taking responsibility. That's number one. Number two is we forego opportunities to fix our mistakes. Now, you might think, huh, is that so bad? Yeah, it's really bad. We want to be able to fix the things that we've done wrong so that we can be better next time. And if we don't embrace responsibility, if we blame others, if we avoid responsibility, then we forego we miss out on the opportunity to fix our own mistakes. I'll give you a great example of this. When I first started as a, as a young associate, an early associate at, um, at a firm when I, where I was working, I worked for a senior associate, and he was essentially my boss. He oversaw my work, and, um, and he would have me write these briefs. His name's Travis Kirby. He's still, still a lawyer in town. And he would have me write these briefs. 
And so I would write the brief and I would submit it to him. And then he did something that I had never experienced before, but it was so immensely helpful. He would come to my office with the brief that I had written and with a red pen. And he would sit down next to me and he'd go, okay, let me just show you. And he would right there show me what I had done wrong, how I could improve it, how I could fix it. And then he would give me that, that brief with red stuff all over it. Now, he wasn't doing that to shame me. He was doing that to strengthen me. He, he was doing that to help me get better, right? And so over time, I would turn in a brief and it would get less red and it would get less red. Eventually, what he wanted is he wanted me to be able to write a brief that would be as good as his brief, right? But if I was avoiding responsibility, if I, if I, if I blamed something else for not doing it right, I would have lost out on the opportunity to fix my own mistakes, and to fix my own failures. So that's one of the negative consequences. When we avoid responsibility, when we blame others, we actually miss out on a really good opportunity to get better. That's number two. Number three, we set ourselves up for future failure. So when we blame, when we don't take responsibility, what we're doing is ensuring a, a failure in the future. When we, think, when we think of fighter pilots, we think of high speed, we think of Top Gun, we think of pilots flying through the air, right? We think of the excitement of being a fighter pilot. But you know, the most, some of the most important work that fighter pilots do is in a, in a room that looks something like this. This is a, what they call a debrief. This is a pilot debrief. And in a pilot debrief, what they do is they, after every mission or after every exercise, the pilots get together in a room. They spend 90% of the time going over the 10% that went wrong. Not because they're trying to shame anybody. Not because they're trying to put anybody on blast. Not, not, they're not trying to throw anybody under the bus. What they're trying to do is ensure that the next Mission is better because the stakes are so high. Can I just tell you, the stakes are high in your relationship with your spouse if you're married. It's, the stakes are high in your relationship with your parents, with your family, with your friends, with your colleagues, with your boss, with your professor, with your students, with your employees, with your employers. The stakes are high, and so what we don't want to do is set ourselves up for future failure. We don't want to do that. We want to create an, an environment where the next time we go out, the next time we do something, the next time we take responsibility for something, it gets better not worse. Are you with me this morning? So, so these are the negative consequences of avoiding responsibility. So the question that I have is, why do we do this? Why do we tend to do it? Why, why do we do something that is to our own peril and to our own destruction? Because it is an impulse that all of us feel at some points, and sometimes we act on. Why do we do it? I'm going to give you three reasons. Here we go. Are you ready? Number one, we do it because we confuse our performance with our worth. I want that to sink in for a minute. We confuse our performance with our worth. Let me explain what I mean. If I, if I attach my worth and value as a human being to my performance, then when I do things well, I'm going to think I'm better than somebody else. And when I do things poorly, I'm going to think I'm worse than somebody else. In other words, my worth as a human being, my value will go up or down depending on how well I'm performing. The problem with that is if I'm doing poorly, I don't want other people to know I'm doing poorly because I don't want them to know my value has gone down. Hear me now. So now I'm going to be tempted to hide and cover my mistake. But that's because we've confused our performance with our worth. Can I just tell you, your value, your worth is not determined by your performance. Your value and your worth is determined by the person who made you, by the one who created you, by the one who put breath in your lungs, by the one who formed you in your mother's womb. 
So your, your value, your worth, your dignity as a human being has nothing to do with whether you're succeeding or failing. It has to do with the value of the one who made you. My, my wife found a, this is years ago, she found a, a $20 bill. I think it was 20, it might've been 50. A $20 bill, let's just say, in, in, the, in, the, in the washing machine. And the $20 bill was tore up, it was wet, it was limp, it was all messed up, right? But can I just tell you, when you put that $20 bill back together, it's still worth $20. Because, because the value of that bill has nothing to do with the circumstances of that bill. The value of that bill was imputed by the U.S. Treasury when it manufactured the bill. Your value as a human being is not, has nothing to do with the circumstances that you currently are in. Your value and your worth was imputed to you by your maker when he made you. So, so I, I want to free somebody today of thinking that your value is attached to your performance because if you do that, you're going to be afraid to expose your, your failures. And if you don't expose your failures, you can't fix your failures. Get with me, somebody. Actually, the Apostle Paul tried to teach this to one of his mentees because you know, when, when people are high capacity, they want to perform well, especially if they're younger, a lot of times they're like, they, they don't want to be seen as having failed. So I love what the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, one of his mentees. He says this. He says, Timothy, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. He said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, to save people that weren't doing it right. And then I love what he says. He says this to his mentee, of whom I am the worst. He's like, look, I'm, I'm, not, trying, I'm not trying to say I'm per-. He's like, I am the worst sinner. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, he, said, he doubles down, I am the worst, he says. Me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. He's saying, my failure didn't diminish my value. My failure served as a platform for God to display his patience. So can I just tell you, your, your, your failure does not diminish your value. Your, your failure, if you open up to the Lord, your failure provides a platform for God to display his glory and his power and his patience and his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness, right? So, so, so don't hide your sin. Don't attach your value to your performance. That's number one. Number two, we underappreciate, underappreciate God's love and grace. This is another reason this is another reason that we tend to blame and hide and avoid because we don't truly understand the extent of God's love for us. We don't know how deep it is. We don't know how wide it is. We don't know how high it is. We, don't, we just don't really fully appreciate and understand how much his love and grace is extended to us. One of the things that my wife and I say to our kids, we say this all the time, we say, there's nothing you can do that will make us not love you. Now, there's a lot you can do that we're going to correct you on. Right? There will be consequences for things that you do. But there's nothing that you do. There's nothing you can do that will make us not love you. We're going to love, we're, our love is unconditional. Some of us need to actually embrace that today. We need to fully and deeply understand the reality that God's love is unconditional. This week I had the honor of, of speaking at um, the Asian Christian Fellowship over at WashU. And uh, one of the things we talked about is the fatherhood of God and the extent of God's love for his children. Um, one, of the, one of the things I mentioned is that when you become, you know, when I became a father, um, what I learned was that there was a different kind of love. There was a different emotion that I had never experienced before because I'd never been in that situation before. And the kind of experience that I had was, oh, this is, this is a kind of love that is extended to a person that is, that is completely, their merit is completely irrelevant. 
The love goes to them whether they scream, cry, spit, you know, throw up, whatever, all the other things babies do. I'm gonna, I love this baby all the way, right? And throughout their life, I'm gonna love that child. I'm gonna love that child. Nothing the child can do. That's the kind of love that God has for us. And when we underestimate that, then we wanna hide our sin because we don't understand how deep his grace is. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in, 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 the, in Ephesus, and I love this prayer. This is, this is the prayer that every pastor should pray for his congregation. He said, I pray that you, and this is my prayer, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. Now here it is. I pray that you will have the power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And I pray that you will know this love that surpasses knowledge. I want you to know, experientially know, this love that surpasses your capacity to understand it. I want you to know it. The word know there is the intimate experiential knowledge. I want you to know the love that you don't even understand. I want you to know how immense, how great, how grand, how beautiful, how high, how deep God's love is for you. Because nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate you. And when you understand that, then you're less tempted to hide your faults. You actually want to come to God with your faults. You want to come to God with your mistakes so he can absolve them and he can, he can heal them. He can... He can can uh, forgive you and he can help you grow. Because you, if he loves you that much, that's what he wants for you. So that's the, that's, that's the second reason uh, that, we, that we avoid um, taking responsibility. Third one is this. We lack faith in our ability to change. We lack faith in our ability. If you've ever failed at something over and 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 over again, at some point you want to go, you know what? I, I can't take responsibility for this anymore. I want to blame something else. Because I'm afraid that if I take responsibility and I fail again, if I, keep, if I fail one more time, then man, maybe I am worthless, right? Maybe, it, maybe I am useless. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You, you've, there's, a, there's a sin or there's, a, there's a, some kind of uh, character defect or whatever in your life that, that just has plagued you over and over and over. And you keep going, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat this. I'm going to defeat this. And yet, man, you mess up again, right? And, and so you go, at, at some point, you want to just blame it on somebody else. Let me, let me pin this on somebody else. Let me pin this on my past. Let me pin it on my parents. Let me pin it on an experience from some other time. Let me, let me blame somebody else. Let me avoid taking responsibility for this, right? If that is you, if you've ever experienced that, just let me tell you, you're in very good company. Because the Apostle Paul himself has been through this exact same scenario. Look at what he says, and I love this in, in Romans. He writes to the church in Rome, and he says this. You've heard, them, you've heard this before. He says, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil that I do not want to do, this is what I keep on doing. What a wretched man I am. What a wretched. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? How am I going to get out of this situation? I keep doing the things that I don't want to do, and I keep not doing the things that I want to do. And then he gives the answer in verse 25. He said, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Can I, can I, just, can I just tell you today, Jesus Christ our Lord is going to rescue you. So you, can, you don't have to blame 
You don't have to point the finger at anybody else. You don't have to point at circumstances. You can just own it every time. How many times do I confess? Every time. How many times do I repent? Every time. I take ownership every time, right? Because we've got a God who over and over and over and over and over and over again will forgive. His mercy extends forever. His grace is as far as from the east to the west. You cannot escape the love of God in Christ Jesus. And, and, and so don't underestimate that and don't start blaming others because you're afraid that you cannot change. So, so we've got these, these toxic consequences if we keep avoiding responsibility that we can see arise in all of our relationship. And now we kind of understand how and why we do that. So the, so, the, so the question is, all right, how do I get out of this cycle? How do I get out of the cycle? How do I just... How do I actually accept and embrace responsibility? I'm going to give you a very simple tool that you can implement today in any dynamic, in any relationship. The tool is simply this. Repent, repair, release. Repent, repair, release. Repent, repair, release. What does that mean? Repent means acknowledge the sin. Own it. Okay, I sinned. I made a mistake. I failed. I stole my own phone charger. Okay, let's just go. Let's start there. All right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's where I start, right? I just own it. I just acknowledge it. Then I confess it. I got to acknowledge it in my mind. Then I got to confess it. I got to tell God. I got to tell somebody else. I got messed up. I gotta me- the third thing I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to acknowledge the pain or I'm going to acknowledge the consequences of what I did to the person to whom I did it. I know this probably hurt you when I said this. Uh, this must have really stung when I did this, right? Acknowledge the pain that the other person experienced and then commit to never doing it again that's what a repentance is repentance is literally turning around metanoia you're going this way now i'm going this way right so that's how you repent you just own the whole thing you own the problem that came with it you own all of it that's number one you repent number two is you repair it if there is the ability for you to fix the damage that you've done fix it even if it is at a cost to you there's a great story in the bible i don't have time to go through it but zacchaeus he was robbing from his own, stealing from his own people. And when he came to be a follower of Jesus, he not only paid them back, he paid them four times. He said, I've been stealing and now I need to repair. I need to repair the damage that I've done. Okay? But then here's the third one. After you've repented and after you've done all that you can to repair, now you've got to release. Because at the end of the day, what might happen to some of you that are blamers, you might turn that finger and now you're just blaming yourself even after you've been forgiven. But, but once you've been forgiven, don't keep blaming yourself. Don't keep shaming yourself. Don't keep condemning yourself if you've repented and repaired. Because you know who the biggest blamer in the Bible is? The biggest blamer in the universe? I don't have this scripture on the screen, but it's from Revelation 12. Revelation 12, John the Revelator tells us who the biggest blamer in the world is. He says, the devil, the accuser of the brethren, accuses you day and night. What that means is even those who, of us who are forgiven and redeemed, sometimes we're still, now we're blaming ourselves for things that have been forgiven. And, 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 and in Revelation, he says, the accuser of the brethren uh, blames the, uh, accuses the brethren day and night, but then he says this, he's been hurled down. The devil has no longer got any power or strength over you. He cannot continue to blame you. He cannot continue to shame you. He cannot continue to bring your guilt before you. In fact, I'm going to end with this. We learned that our first forefather, Adam, was the first blamer. (laughs) He was the first blamer. 
right? The woman you gave me, he's blaming everybody, right? He sinned and did not take responsibility. The Bible calls Jesus the second Adam. The second Adam committed no sin and took all the blame. I want you to get this now. The first Adam who sinned said, it's not my fault. The second Adam who did not sin said, I will take the blame on me. I'll take, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm going to take all the blame. In fact, 2 Corinthians puts it like this. It says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin. Oh, that means he took all the blame, all the shame, all the guilt, all the condemnation. He became, he became sin. I, he, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You are free today in Christ. You are free today if you put your faith in Jesus. You are liberated from the blame game. Jesus came to take our sin. Jesus came to take our guilt. Jesus came to take our shame. Jesus came to release us from the blame game. He whom the Son has set free is free indeed. You are free today. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that even in the midst of our, some of our own pride and ego, we tend to, we tend to avoid responsibility. We, we're afraid to take it on because we're afraid that it has something to do with our own value, our worth. And your word, Lord, says that we are of immeasurable value to you. While we were still sinners, you died for us. That's your grace. That's your mercy. Your mercy endures forever. And I pray that every single person that hears this word today would actually come to understand the depth, the height, the width, the breadth of your love for us. That we would come to know that nothing can separate us from your love. And therefore, we are free, Lord, to accept responsibility to reveal and expose our mistakes, to confess our faults and our sins so that you might heal them in us, that we might be better next time, that we might grow in you, that we might individually grow in you, but that we might collectively shine the truth of who you are in us to the world, that they might look at us and see you. Father, I pray that you would free us today, free somebody today from the blame game. We love you. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen.